Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Podcast a number of years ago, and it's, it's proved true. So bananas, like for, for all my life, I have peeled bananas from the stem. Like I consider that the top side, and a lot of times that doesn't work well. Like, you know, you can't like get it apart and all that stuff. If you peel it from the bottom, you will never have that, that problem, okay? So you heard it here. And just, you know, remember us fondly whenever you're eating your banana the next, the next time. All right, far more important than that. I want to give you a pro tip this morning for the life of faith. This is beyond the basics of our faith. And the basics of our faith are vital. Um, so we never get beyond the basics. If you're here this morning and you're just exploring faith, you're just starting to learn about Jesus, just know we never get beyond the basics. So here are two basics for you that we all need all the time. God loves you. The measure of God's love for you is the sacrifice of Jesus that we just celebrated. If, if you want to know what something's worth to you, then consider how much you're willing to give up to get that thing. So whatever money you pay for an object, that's how much it's worth to you. What you are worth to God is the giving of his own son to pay the penalty for sin in your place. That's how valuable you are to God. So that's a basic that we should never get beyond, and we should revel in God's love for us every single day. Uh, The second basic is that God has a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. So your life is not meaningless. You are not random. God specifically envisioned you with a purpose, and he has something important for you to to accomplish in life. And so those two things, those two basics, should bring us a lot of comfort in life to know how God views us, how he values us, how he has purpose and meaning for our lives. The the, the rub comes when God's purpose for our lives takes us, reroutes us on a journey, on the journey from something that we expected. We have our, our minds set on a certain direction, and God reroutes us from that, surprises us from that. And, and when that new route is not easy, when it's uncomfortable, then this is where we need the, the pro tip that we're going to talk about today. Because God seems to often like to take us off of the nice, easy route and take us onto the hard route. If you want an example of this, you can read the book of Exodus, and, uh, and you can see how God took his people, he saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. That was a good thing, but then he takes them on the long journey to the promised land. Instead of taking them directly there, they're going to spend 40 years wandering in a desert. God sometimes likes to take us on routes that we would not have chosen. And so my question for you, this morning as we begin is when when God reroutes you 
from your expected journey, specifically when God reroutes you from pursuing something that you really had your heart set on? What is your response? So maybe it's, it's a career. I, I worked with uh, an, an administrative assistant a number of years ago who was just, she was brilliant. I mean, she was so quick, and she would just pick everything up and get it, get it done really quick. And I was just like, man, your capacity is amazing. And I learned uh, some years later that actually she was on a journey, she was on a career journey to become a doctor, to become a surgeon. And her father became very, very ill during the time when she was ready to go into college, and it changed the whole trajectory of her career and of her life. And she was, she was doing a great job, and she was serving the Lord in what she was doing, and so it was, it was all good, but it just it changed her trajectory. Sometimes our, our expectations, what we hope for, what we're longing for in a relationship, God takes away. He reroutes us. He, he takes someone out of our lives. He, they, they decide to move out of our lives. How do we respond? How do we respond when we have a goal or a dream in life and maybe a, a physical limitation surfaces that keeps us from pursuing that dream? How, how do we respond? Well, we could grieve the loss. We could adapt and then we could accept this new trajectory, this new route with gratefulness to God and faith. That could be one option. Or we could dig our heels in and we could say, I'm, I'm going to fight for my way here. We're going to look this morning at a real life example of someone who fought for his way. And the pro tip is this morning, you may want to reconsider if you're the type that digs your heels in because it doesn't turn out well. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. We are continuing the series on the life of David. And I, I haven't mentioned this before in the series, but it did play a factor to, to choose to study David this summer because Sight and Sound over in Lancaster is doing a show called David. And so we actually bought some tickets for that to go have a group of people go from Grace Point. We have two tickets left on August 13th. If you are interested in that, you should snatch that up. I mean, I guess you can do it right now if you need to. But I mean, go to our events page and uh, you can, can buy those last two tickets. We're going to plan to go out to eat. Uh, together after the show, and it, it should be a fun day. Everybody who's seen the show, so whether you go with us or not, I mean, everybody says it's a phenomenal, uh, very worthwhile show to, to go see. We, we are seeing the last several weeks the rise of David set against the decline of Saul, and I want to just start with a few verses from last week, starting in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And David went out and came in before the people. He was leading the army. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. 
Now, this could have gone very differently. This whole relationship between Saul and David could have been different because Saul could have sought the Lord in his distress. I mean, he knew that God had, was taking the kingdom away from him. He knew he had made mistakes and he had disobeyed God. He could have come to God and said, God, I know I've blown it. I know I disobeyed you. I understand the consequence for my sin is that you are taking, taking the kingdom away from me. So I, I just want to repent. I want to acknowledge that I've done wrong before you. And I just want to ask God, would you make something of my life, what, what I have left, just do something with me? But he didn't, he didn't do that at all. He, he does instead, he does everything he can to fight against God's plan to replace him and to raise up David. And so that fight is going to continue into what we're going to look at here today, starting in verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. All right, before we go on, there's there's two flags here in, in this verse about Saul. Two, two bad things are going on here. First of all, Saul is going back on a promise that he made when the army of Israel was standing against Goliath. Maybe you remember this if you want to flip back uh, to chapter 17, verse 25. When, when all the army was there, David was coming out to, to visit his brothers. In verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? They're talking about Goliath. Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. In other words, they won't have to pay any, any taxes. So as Steve observed a couple of weeks ago, the prize for defeating Goliath was wealth, a, a wife, and a waiver. So this was what Saul had promised. He had promised to give his daughter in marriage, and now he's reneging on that promise. He's saying to David, well, you can have my daughter in marriage, but I'm going to add to the price. I mean, as if it wasn't already enough, to have defeated Goliath, who was in a standoff for 40 days. I mean, that was a huge deliverance. Now he's adding to the, the deal. The, so he's requiring more of David. That leads us to the second flag, which is that Saul is setting David up with the hope that he's going to be eliminated. He's already, he's already removed David from his presence and sent him out to battle, hoping that the Philistines would kill him. Now he's upping the ante because if David is now the son-in-law of the king, then he has an even bigger target on his back for the Philistines. They're thinking if he's part of the royal family, then we really want to knock him off because that's going to get at the king even, even more. So instead of accepting God's plan to replace him. Saul fights against it. And here's, here's the pro tip for you for, for life today. Beware the futility of fighting God. Beware the futility of fighting God. When God takes a different direction than what you would like and what you prefer, it's natural to be disappointed. And it's even healthy to grieve because we're giving up something that we wanted 
But fighting against God does not end well, as we will see. So Saul offers his oldest daughter to David at a price, but David does not take the deal. Verse 18, David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Mahathalite for a wife. So, first, first daughter doesn't work but another opportunity is now going to present itself. Verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So this is actually beyond just like I'm giving you my daughter in marriage. There's actually now a romantic connection between these two. And so verse 21, Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And we just see this getting uglier and, and uglier. I mean, Saul is using uh, his daughters to, to try to get rid of someone who is, who is loyal to him. It doesn't even make sense for him to get rid of, of David. So if Saul succeeds, he will have murdered an innocent man and simultaneously broken his daughter's heart. I mean, it seems inconceivable to us, but such is the trajectory for someone who has let his darker emotions take over his life instead of coming to God for relief and guidance. He's, he's digging his heels in and he's fighting God and the conniving and the deception just continue to deepen. Verse 22, Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, a lie, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. The, the, the narrator wants no question here what is in Saul's mind and what his motivation is. He wants uh, the Philistines killing, he's setting him up. Um, This is a good point to kind of pause here and comment on a few things. Okay, first of all, let's comment on the idea of a bride price. Okay, we we don't do that today, but uh, this was commonplace. It it was, everyone did this in David's day. The groom or the groom's family would pay a, a price or dowry to the the family of the the bride, and David says, I don't have anything to pay this with. I mean, it was oftentimes paid with either money or with land, and David's like, my family, I mean, we really don't have much, and so there's no way I could pay the bride price to a king, like whatever that would be worth. Now, keep in mind, he shouldn't have to be paying anything because this was part of the reward for him defeating Goliath. So Saul is reneging on his promise. 
And, and Saul is setting a price that is gruesome and it is uncomfortable. So let's talk about the fact that it's, it's, it's gruesome for, for a minute, okay? And I will tell you that as I study each week, so I start off just, just like studying the, the text and, and understanding, trying to understand the, the words of the text. And then later I go to commentaries because I want to see what other people who have studied the Bible have to say about things. So I was very anxious to go and read the comments on this section because I was like, okay, I'm going to be talking to a room full of people about foreskins, and this is really weird, and so I'm really anxious to see what commentators have to say, and don't you know, every single one of them, they just like, they just kind of relayed this, and then they just moved right on, and I thought, wow, I would like to do that, but I don't feel like I can, so okay, I'm going to comment on this just a little bit. First, this is gruesome that, that the king is asking David to kill a hundred people, okay? That's, that's just kind of gruesome in and, in and of itself. And what we have to keep in mind and bear in mind is that this was a very, very different culture. I'm not saying that this like excuses it or makes it right, but this was a very different culture than we live in where war was like part of their everyday life. I mean, for us, war is like this intrusion that we, we try to avoid at all costs, and we, we should. But in that culture, in that day, we even kind of see this still surfacing in the Middle East. There's so much conflict there. That's kind of just part of their heritage and the way they operated. And what God did uh, in those ancient times with the nation of Israel was he would use other nations, and he used the Philistines, to come and oppress his people to bring discipline on them when they were being disobedient to him. It was a, a tangible way that God brought judgment and discipline on them. So God had used the Philistines to bring judgment on the Hebrew people. Now, at this point, God is using his people, the, the uh, Israelites, to bring judgment on the Philistines. And so this is a piece of what's going on here is uh, a piece of judgment. So secondly, um, this uncomfortable part. So, so Saul says, okay, kill 100 people. Why couldn't he have just said, bring me their belts? You know, or bring me their swords or something. Why? Why foreskins? I mean, that, that's really weird. Well, let's remember the symbolism of circumcision and the significance of that. Circumcision was given by God as a sign of the covenant between God and his people. It was a picture of the fact that, that they were saying, we will be set apart for you. We're going to be different than the nations around us. And there's a purification aspect to that, that symbolism. And so in a way, this is a picture of purification and, and a setting apart. Do you, do you remember what David called Goliath? One of the insults that, that David hurled at him? He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. I mean, that, that is an insult, but it's, it's actually, it's a judgment of saying, basically saying, you, you are a godless person. And so, so the Philistines have rejected God, and God is bringing judgment on them. And this is a snapshot of the purification that God is doing in that region. And so even in Saul's self-centered motivations, there's a hint here of God's purposes. If Saul were a man of his word, he would not have made this request to begin with, but he did. And David delivered far beyond what he required. Let's read verses 
Verse 26. And when Saul's servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. He was glad to at least be able to, to pay this price. And so before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. Saul can't renege this time because too many people know the promise that he's made. But watch carefully, watch carefully what the narrator records next. Verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was struck to the heart and realized his fight against God was futile. So he repented and yielded himself to the Lord's will. Does yours say that? Oh, oh actually, yeah, mine, mine doesn't say that either. All right, pay attention to what the narrator says next. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David So Saul was David's enemy continually. Instead of yielding to God's will, Saul dug his heels in, and he continues his downward spiral, and it's going to be a long, slow journey down. Beware the futility of fighting God. Saul's response is not reserved for the ranks of kings. It's common for for people like you, you and me, in the everyday. I mean, we want control over our lives, our circumstances. Sometimes we want to control other people. I mean, consider this. I mean, think about how, how do you respond when someone else doesn't fit into your expectations? If you become angry, then you're kind of alongside of Saul, I mean, Saul, the first negative, dark emotion that we see surface in Saul was that he was angry. How hard do you work against your circumstances when they are not going in your favor, in your direction, going your way? And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking here about the normal problems of life, because we're, we're going to have kind of normal things that don't go smoothly in life. We're going to have thorns in this life. God, that was part of the curse when sin entered the world. God, God said, you're, you're going to continue to work the ground, you're going to continue to do labor, and you're going to have thorns to deal with now. They're going to interrupt your work, it's going to make it harder. I'm not talking about those, because that's that happens all the time. I'm talking about when you are set on a trajectory of life and it seems like every force of humanity and nature is set against you to keep you from achieving whatever that is that you've set your heart on. How do you respond when that happens? Do you stop and consider Maybe God is redirecting me. Or do you double down and dig your heels in and say to yourself, I will have my way? If you do that, be careful, 
because like Saul, you may find yourself fighting the sovereign God of the universe, and that does not end well. Beware the futility of fighting God. This whole concept that we're talking about here reminds me of a scene in Acts chapter 5 when Jesus' followers are carrying on his work after he has died and resurrected and ascended. And they are now carrying on his work teaching, uh, healing people in Jesus' name. And the religious leaders, these same religious leaders who just put Jesus to death because they were trying to stamp out this whole movement, these religious leaders, uh, they arrest Jesus' followers and they bring them in and they say, you must stop teaching in this name. And they say, well, we're, we're going to have to obey God over you. And so they go out and continue on. Well, they arrest them, put them in jail. And then an angel comes, releases them from jail. And so they go out and they just keep doing their thing. And these guys bring them in again. They're just trying so hard to stop them. And so they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And then one man among the Pharisees stands up, Gamaliel stands up, and he says, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. That is never going to win. So what can we learn from Saul about fighting God. When life does not play out the way you expect or the way you would like, and for some of you, maybe that's never happened yet. So I just, if that hasn't happened to you yet, then I just, just here's another little pro tip. It's going to happen at some point that life is not going to go the way you would like for it to go. When that happens and those dark emotions surface in you like they did in Saul, when you are angry, when you are jealous, when you are fearful, will you give way and let those emotions take over? Or will you take those emotions to the Lord? Because Saul let those emotions just take over. But David learned to take them to the Lord. And so I want to leave 1 Samuel 18 this morning and take you to Psalm 3. If you would turn there with me. Psalm 3 is a song that David wrote when he himself was king. By now he had become a king, and his throne was threatened by his own son, Absalom. And so I want you to just see David's response when his throne is in danger of being taken away from him. Psalm 3, the subtitle says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. I mean, there's a lot of pathos just right in that line. We're, we're not going to get to this point in David's story in this series. So I'm not giving anything away. We'll come back to it probably another year. But David has established his throne. He's in Jerusalem. His son Absalom is rising up against him. He has to leave his throne in Jerusalem. He's bringing all of these people with him, and he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. Absalom has it in for him. He's fleeing for his life from Absalom, his son. And here's his prayer. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? 
Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. See, David is entrusting himself and his future into God's hands. Instead of clutching onto his power, he's yielding himself to God's will. And as he does that, he's foreshadowing Jesus, who will come many, many, many generations later. As Jesus prayed in the garden the night before his, his crucifixion, and he came, we, we studied this several months ago, if you were here, we said that, that Jesus' prayer was 100% intentional, it was 100% honest, it was 100% yielded. It was 100% honest. He's, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please let it be so. But in the end, he's 100% yielded. Not my will, but yours be done. It's consistent with the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on, on earth. That's how Jesus calls us to pray. That's how he models for us to pray. The alternative is we can fight God, but that, that doesn't end well. And so my question for you this morning is, is there a fight that you're in with God that you need to lay down? There's a card there that was on your seat as you came in. And how I want to end this morning is this. We're, we're going to sing one more song together. And if there's a fight that you're in with the, the Lord, then I want to give you an opportunity just to, tan in a tangible way, kind of turn that fight over to him and yield yourself to him. I'm going to put this basket here and in a symbolic way. This is an, an altar before the Lord. I'm going to encourage you just to write that down as we're singing and, and just bring it forward and just drop it in here. And this is just between you and the Lord. You don't need to put your name on that and we're not going to read it. This is really just a, a really tangible way for you to, to bring something to the Lord and give it to him. Beware the futility of fighting God. Father, we thank you for your grace toward us. And we thank you that even when, even when, maybe especially when you change the trajectory of our expectations, you are doing it for our good and because you know it is best. And so, Lord, help us to yield ourselves to you and your grace and your comfort in our loss and the grieving that happens when we are not able to get whatever we have set our heart on. Lord, would you give us the heart of David, who in the face of giving up his power and his throne, instead of giving himself over to his darker emotions, he took those emotions to you and he gave himself over 
to you. Lord, would you give us the strength? Would you give the, the person who's here this morning who's in that fight and they're feeling that, that all the forces of nature and humanity are set against whatever this is that their heart is set on. Would you help them to release their grip on that so that you can place into their hands what it is, the good thing that you have for them. Make today that day. Lord, in their heart, I pray you give them courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.